Many people in our city, and really in our world, believe that all religions are basically the same. Slight differences, but so much that makes them the same. And one of those similarities, they would say, is that most world religions have some form of prayer. The adherents to it lift their voices. They, they make requests in some way to their God or to their gods. But of course, we look more closely, honestly, at the various world religions. We see on so many levels how they are quite different and distinct. And there are numerous things that makes Christianity distinct, and one of those is the way that Christians think about prayer. One, how we think about the God that we are praying to and how He wants us to view Him and our praying to Him. Prayer is often misunderstood by those outside the church as well as those inside. And so today we'll see Jesus seek to help us think better, more clearly about this wonderful privilege of prayer. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, to Matthew chapter 6. Today we're in Matthew 6, beginning in verse 5. In the Bibles near you, you can find it on page 811. Page 811. I encourage you to open up a copy of the Bible or open up a Bible app so you can see the text in front of you. I think it'll help you as we walk through the text be able to see exactly where I'm drawing these thoughts from. If you're newer to reading the Bible, the larger numbers are the chapter numbers. So we're in chapter 6. The smaller numbers, the verse numbers, I'll mention those verse numbers throughout our time together. And if you don't own a copy of the Bible, we as a church would love to give you one. At the back of the room, there's a table with some Bibles there. So following the service, just grab one of those. You don't have to ask permission. Grab one and take it with you as our gift to you today. So Matthew 6, we have the words of Jesus beginning in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This morning, as we look at our text, we see this emphasis for us today, and that is this. Let's ask our Father daily in simplicity 
and sincerity. Let's ask our Father daily in simplicity and sincerity. So we'll look at our text today in four aspects of that. First, we'll see sincerity in prayer. Second, simplicity in prayer. Third, structure for prayer. And then last, sincerity in fasting. So first, we see sincerity in prayer in verse 5 and 6. If you've been with us, we've been walking through, starting in chapter 5, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus has come announcing the king, that's himself, has come. The kingdom has broke in. And so now he's explaining what it means that the king is here. And for those who trust in him as king, what does it look like to live under his kingship in this world? In our passage today, he continues a series of cautions where he warns us of the danger of practicing outward righteousness in front of others so that others might see it. We saw this last week. Look up the page at chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus said, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So he cautioned us that last week when it came to giving. Today he cautions us related to praying and fasting. The danger of praying and fasting from wrong motives. So first, praying. Look down at verse 5. Jesus says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. So Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites. And what these hypocrites did is they were different inside versus outside. Outwardly, they looked like they were living in reliance on God in prayer. Outwardly, they looked righteous. Inwardly, their desires were not to pray at all, but to be seen as praying. To be admired by others, applauded by others for their religious acts. Jesus says what they love to do is not to pray, but to stand and pray in the synagogue among God's people. Or they love to pray on the street corner. Notice, not simply on the street, right? To pray on Beach Street would be one thing. Some could see you. But if you really want to be seen, go to the corner of Mass Ave and Beach Street. People in both directions could see you. So, so even more could see you. So that's what these hypocrites were doing. They pray so that others would see. And Jesus urges us, don't live like that. Oh, you may receive the admiration of others. You very likely will. They, they were applauded, admired by those who thought those are the really righteous people who do that. But that's all we'll receive is the applause, the admiration of others. But instead, Jesus says, don't pray like that. But when you pray, he says, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who's in secret. The image here is of going into a private place, even like a closet. Close the door and pray alone. Now, why is this warning so relevant, so necessary to us? And that is because this temptation towards self-righteousness is very real for every single Christian. Just in general in life, we love to be admired. We love to be applauded. And then connect that to, to being seen as, thought of as holy, mature, spiritual. It can be intoxicating. I wonder if you've ever felt that before. 
you prayed and someone said, wow, that was really a powerful prayer. And you thought, well, maybe it was. Or in some other way, through leading a Bible study, something like that, people applauded, admired you, but you began to feel like, I really liked that admiration. And you felt the temptation, at least, to cultivate that. That outward righteousness that isn't true righteousness of the heart. And so Jesus doesn't want us to settle for that. He wants us instead to check our motives. And so we ask of ourselves, am I praying in this place or in this way in order that others might think more highly of me? So that others might think I'm really godly. Now, we don't want to misunderstand what Jesus is teaching here. This is not an exhaustive statement on prayer. Jesus is not prohibiting Christians praying with other Christians because elsewhere he'll commend that. He'll encourage that. Christians should regularly pray with others. Jesus is also not prohibiting praying in public. Jesus himself often prays in public. We see the church do it in the book of Acts. But Jesus is speaking to certain context. Because the challenge is our hearts can so easily be deceived that you could be praying with one other person and you could pray with them in order to be seen by them. In other words, you're not praying to God, you're praying so they would hear your prayer, that they might admire you and applaud you for the way that you pray, just with one other person. And it's also possible to pray before hundreds and to pray as if you're praying in secret. So yes, she could be praying and so many people listening, but in her heart, she's not praying for them. She's not seeking their applause. She's not praying to be seen. She's praying to her father. They're simply overhearing it, and she could do so with a good and right godly motive. So we don't want to misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. The context isn't the primary issue, but it is the state of our hearts. What are my motives when I pray? So we want to pray with sincerity. But then second, we see simplicity in prayer in verse 7 and 8. Simplicity. Look down at verse 7. Jesus says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. So here Jesus speaks to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, who also prayed. But when they prayed, their thought was the way that they might gain an answer to their prayers is by saying enough words. Sometimes repeating a phrase over and over and over, and that's how it was done. But it was the quantity of words that they thought would kind of push things over the edge to get a prayer answered. So they had a, a mechanical view of praying. If I give enough inputs, then the output would be an answered prayer. Or it was a formula, this plus this, this phrase repeated this many times would lead to the outcome that we desire. But instead, look at what Jesus says, verse 8. He says, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So He says, don't pray like they do because you're praying to your Father and He knows your needs. That's very important. We don't misunderstand that statement because if you only heard that, your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. If we stop right there, we might think, then are we supposed to pray? If our Father already knows, 
Is Jesus saying, therefore, don't pray? That's not what it says. Because notice Jesus doesn't say, your father knows the things you need, so don't even ask him. Instead, what we see in our text, Jesus is clearly saying that we should pray. Notice he says, when you pray, verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, and verse 9. So don't misunderstand verse 8. He's not saying, therefore, don't pray. In fact, he's saying, pray all the more. Because your Father knows what you need. But because your Father knows what you need, we make simple, direct requests. You're not praying to a Father who says, if you ask me enough times, if you just say enough words, eventually you'll persuade me to give it to you. That's not what our Father is like. This too is not exhaustive. This is not prohibiting long prayers. There's a place for those. We see some of them in the Bible, long prayers. This is also not prohibiting praying the same thing repeatedly. If we're in a a focused way, there may be a number of things in your life you may pray for daily for decades. Praying for someone you love to know Christ. Praying for a certain need. So you're praying in a repeated way. But we're not repeating words simply believing that would somehow convince God by the number of our words. Christians can do this if we're not careful with familiar prayers. We say the prayer, we know the words, but our hearts are not in it. When I was a kid, there was a prayer that we would say at the dinner table. It went like this, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for his food. Pretty simple. Not necessarily commending it to you, but that's somehow we read it, and that's what we said. But very quickly, we simply said the words. We, we really weren't saying God is great. We weren't saying God is good. We were just say the words and then eat. It's, it's also possible to pray in a sort of mindless way, even with the prayer we're going to look at in our text that we call the Lord's Prayer. It's this wonderful prayer we've given. We can pray it just as it is aloud, and that's a good and right and beautiful thing But as Christians, we have to be careful. Sometimes we know it well that we simply say the words. So we could say the prayer. You could probably say it right now if I asked you to. But we can say it in a mindless way, not thoughtful. And we would never want to think think that, that simply by repeating that prayer or others, somehow that wins God over. So if you want to see, we, we pray simply, directly. Asking of our Father, telling Him what we need. So we pray with simplicity. Third, then we see structure for praying in verses 9 through 15. So Jesus says, verse 8, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. But then look at verse 9. Pray then like this. So let's misunderstand verse 8. Clearly He's not saying don't pray because He moves on to say, here's how you would pray. Jesus gives to us what we often refer to as the Lord's Prayer, which one is a helpful prayer to pray as it is. It also serves as a very helpful model prayer to us. If you're wondering, what are some of the things I would want to pray for? Jesus says, here's a structure under these categories. If you pray in line with that, it's a helpful way to think about how we might pray. And notice how Jesus begins his prayer. This is who we're praying to, verse 9. Our Father in heaven. Now, Jesus' use of this term would have been unusual for the Jews of that day. 
As they prayed, they typically prayed to the king of the universe. They prayed to their sovereign Lord, which are true and accurate descriptions of God. But now Jesus wants us to see that we're invited to call God our Father. Jesus made it possible for us to know God as Father, and he taught his disciples, he teaches us to to call him the same. So this teaches us, friends, that our God is personal, that we relate to him with the same sort of relationship that a child does to an earthly father, and this father is infinitely greater. He is loving, caring, interested, and available. He's our father, and he's our father in heaven. So he is also the sovereign Lord. He is still the king of the universe. He is both. So we're addressing God, but but not just God. God who is your Father. So therefore, when we pray, Christians, we generally pray, Heavenly Father or Father in heaven. Or you might simply say, Father, knowing what you mean by that. But generally in the New Testament, that's how we see God's people pray, praying to our Father. And it it points to the intimacy and the access that we have to the God of the universe because he's your father. In my life, there are few people who have the, the greatest level of access to me. So in my text, you know, there's a few of them pinned at the top. And so if they text me, I'm going to look at those most quickly. And who would that be for us? That would be our, our two kids and now our son-in-law. So three who have the most access to me. So when they text, they never call. I don't think their phones work to actually make a phone call. You know, kids these days, they never make a call. But, they, but when they text, I quickly want to look at their text, you know, to see what they have to say, see if there's something they need. Very often to give them some pointless, what I think is witty thought on the deals of the day, trying to be humorous that they never appreciate. But because they're our children, they have more access than honestly any of you. I love you. I care deeply for you, but they are my children. And the only person who will soon have more access to them is our soon-to-be-born grandson. That kind of spoils the whole illustration. That's a whole other thing. But they have access because I'm their dad. And friend, you see what Jesus is saying? When you pray, you're not praying to some distant God, but you're praying to your father who is God, who is sovereign over all, who is the king of the universe. And so from here we see how Christianity is so different from other world religions who don't know God as father. But it does raise the question, how is it that a person like us can call God father? We want to be aware that simply because we're humans does not mean that God is our father. God is the creator of all. And we believe that all people were created in the image of God. And therefore, every single person has value and dignity. But not everyone knows God as Father. This gracious Father, though, has made a way for any and all to know him as Father by the coming of Jesus Christ the Son. So Jesus came to this world, lived a perfect, sinless life, eventually went to the cross bearing the 
the guilt and shame, the, the punishment that we deserve. He died, was raised on the third day, providing through that this glorious gift of salvation, which includes grace and forgiveness, reconciliation with God, new life now, life eternal, and includes adoption into God's own family. So it is by receiving this free gift of salvation we're brought into the family of God and therefore know God as Father. So friend, I wonder, have you come to know God as your Father? Maybe you're new to exploring Christianity. We're so glad that you're here. We'd love to help you at whatever level you're interested. So if you want to have a conversation about that, or if you just want to attend for a while to explore who is this God, who is Jesus, what does this look like? Friend, we would love for you to one day, by faith, trust in Christ and know God as Father. So we pray to our Father in heaven. And then Jesus moves on to show us what is it we should pray for. And we begin, the prayer begins by looking away from ourselves to God and to his kingdom. So we pray first, verse 9, for the worship of God. Verse 9, hallowed be your name. Name here refers to the person of God. So we're praying that the God's name, that God's person would be hallowed, praised, that he would be cherished, he would be known, his greatness would be celebrated in the world. So we're praying that in our lives, God would be worshipped. In our church, in our city, in the world, God would be truly known and praised. We pray also in the mission of God, verse 10. We're praying for your kingdom to come. The kingdom of God has broken in. It's present now in the lives of Christians, in the church. But we're praying for the kingdom of Jesus to, to break in more and more, that, that more and more people in our city would come to know Jesus as king, that more and more people groups around the world would hear the news of salvation in the king. And when we're praying for God's kingdom to come, we're simultaneously fighting the temptation we all have to build our own little kingdom. So we're not praying for our own kingdom, but for his kingdom to come. We pray also for the will of God to be loved and done. Verse 10, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The people would know and, and trust God's word that we'd want to obey him and walk in his ways. We would want to live in line with the kingdom of Jesus that we and others would love and obey the will of God. Now, those three are closely intertwined. Hallowing God, praying for his kingdom to come, praying for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we pray to our Father in heaven. We, we begin by praying in a Godward way, focused on his kingdom. And then the prayer turns to our own lives. We pray for provision. Look at verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. This is the request for God's continued daily care for us. In it, we're recognizing that God is the ultimate provider, that we are in need, that we're dependent on him. And so it's this ongoing prayer. The prayer is not for bread for the next year. It's not bread for the next 10 years, but it's bread for today. And again, we pray for bread tomorrow. It's a daily prayer of dependence. In it, we admit our need. And it's a challenging prayer to pray because the fact is, so often, it, it looks like we are independent. You, you, you have some money in the bank. There's a store that you go to. 
You have some money put away for retirement. So it looks like you could live this life in self-reliance. But this daily prayer says, even if I have something in the bank, even if I have a store, I'm seeing that it all comes from our Father. I want to reject self-reliance and live in dependence on God. So we're going to notice that in this model prayer, our personal needs follow the sort of outward-looking prayer. So it's both. Beginning by looking outward, praying for God's kingdom, for the spread of His name, the glory and praise of His name, and then praying for personal needs. But notice that it doesn't eliminate our personal needs. These are included as well. So it's a mistake in my praying if I only pray for my own personal situation. And it's a mistake in my praying if I don't pray for my own personal situation. Jesus shows us we want to do both, praying for God's work in the world and asking for his work in our own lives. We pray also for forgiveness and renewal, verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is then expanded upon verse 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So we see here that the honest Christian who knows ourselves at all know that we are always struggling with sin. So in this regular pattern of praying, we're, we're praying for forgiveness. We have this debt against God. So we're praying for the forgiveness of this debt. This debt paid for by Christ. So we're returning again, treasuring the saving work of Christ and mindful that, that if I, I don't forgive others, it's a sign that I've not really known the forgiveness of God. For if we've truly known the forgiveness of God, it will compel us from that forgiveness to forgive others. So I wonder, friend, are you forgiving others in your life? Are you withholding forgiveness from someone today? Friend, if so, do you see that it's, it's unwise, it's dangerous, unhealthy, just for your own soul, your own heart? It's contrary to God's design. We want to freely forgive others because he has freely forgiven us. We pray also for help in the face of trial and temptation. Verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is an awareness of their very real danger outside and inside in this world. So we're praying for spiritual protection that God would lead us away from temptation. God, I want to follow you, so Lord, would you please lead me away from temptation, lead me away from trial. It's certainly true that sometimes we're, we're in temptation, we're in trial, and God faithfully gives us strength in the face of it. But the wise prayer is to say, Father, would you lead me away, please? Please steer me away, guide me, guard me from temptation. And when we pray like this, we're well aware there is an enemy who wants to destroy us who wants to tempt us so we will fall. And we're aware there's an internal enemy, indwelling sin that remains, that can so easily undermine our walk with God. So we pray, Father, would you please lead us away from temptation, away from trials. As we look at this prayer, we should notice that it is 
corporate in nature. So Jesus prays. He says, pray like this, our Father in heaven. He doesn't teach us to pray, my Father in heaven. We're taught to pray, give us, not just give me. Forgive us, lead us, deliver us. So like all the Christian life, we are living it in community. Christianity is not just you and Jesus alone, but it's connected to a local body of believers in a church, but also even beyond that. We're praying our Father, we're praying with other Christians around the world. So we're always mindful, not just me, us, we, our. So friend, be connected to a church who you join in praying with. Then fourth, we see sincerity in fasting, verses 16 to 18. So here's the last caution Jesus gives of doing outward righteousness for the wrong reason. Now, fasting is when a person chooses to deprive himself of of food or drink for a specific period of time. That's very often closely connected with praying. So often a person is choosing not to eat in order to devote that time and more to praying. And Jesus talks about how some of these hypocrites were fasting, but doing so seeking to make sure that other people knew they were fasting. So they were not trying to look normal when fasting. That they would try to, you know, configure the look on their face or, or they just looked unkept so the people would just notice, like, oh, he must be fasting. And of course think, well, and he must be super holy because he's fasting. By their appearance, they were seeking the applause, the admiration of others. And you know how sometimes we do that? We want people to notice that. Uh, you know, pre-COVID, I think this was a, a part of our society. Maybe not, not quite so much uh, anymore, but um, I don't know if you had any friends who did CrossFit. Those folks just seem to find a way to often let you know they were just doing CrossFit. No offense if you're CrossFit. It's, it's a really great. It's admirable. I can never do it. But they show up in their CrossFit shirt and their CrossFit sweat. 42 posts on social media of they've just done CrossFit. And as if so, you might say, oh, do you do CrossFit? Like, oh, well, how did you know? That's what they're doing here in this fasting. Wanting people to say, oh, are you fasting? Oh, how did you know? Well, the long look on your face, that's how we knew. And Jesus says, don't live like that. Don't be satisfied with that. Don't seek to draw attention to yourself. We should notice, though, that Jesus does say, When you fast. So just like Jesus assumes his disciples will pray, he also assumes his followers will fast at times. So so we too are wise to incorporate fasting with our praying at times. Author Scott McKnight has written helpfully on fasting, and here are a few things that he says. He says, fasting is the natural, inevitable response of a person to a grievous, sacred moment in life. It isn't a manipulative tool that guarantees results. It is a response to a sacred moment, not an instrument designed to get desired results. So often Christians misunderstand and they think, wow, if I really want a prayer answered, I'll not only pray and also fast, as if that forces God to give us what we're asking for. That's not what fasting is. But as McKnight said, it's in response to a, 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 a grievous sacred moment. It might be in your life that, that you're so aware of some destructive sin that's just seeking to destroy you. Say, I, I must fast because this has overwhelmed me. It might be a moment of great 
concern or loss. It might be, for instance, in the situation of what's going on in Ukraine. It would be a, a godly thing for a Christian to see such devastation in the world and say, it's such a grievous, sacred moment that I'm going to fast and pray. It's a good and wise practice of God's people. So should we really fast today? Yes. It's not mandated a particular number of times or its regularity, but, it, but God's people have found it helpful and wise across the centuries. So, so it could be one meal. It could be for an entire day. We fast to acknowledge our need of God and to use the time we might normally use for eating during that day or that time to pray. And like the earlier caution, he's not seeking to be exhaustive. And he, and he, and he doesn't want us to misunderstand so don't misunderstand. Let's say you were trying to, to quietly fast. If someone found out about it, that doesn't take away the value of your fasting. So let's say you uh, had a meeting and, and you met them and you were fasting that day and you didn't know there was going to be food there, but then they offered you some food. And so you, it was a friend from church. And so you said, no thanks. And they kind of offered it again. And so eventually you're like, Look, I'm, I'm just fasting. Friends, that, you're not trying to get them to see it by that action. Now, on the other hand, let's say that you knew you were going to fast on this upcoming Thursday. And then you plan to meet someone from the church for lunch at a restaurant. And you met them at the lunch for the restaurant. And as the conversation starts, you sort of make a big deal. You, oh, I don't need a menu. I'm fasting today. Well, it seems like maybe you planned it so they would see that. Does that make sense? Those are two different things. So someone can see us fasting. That's okay. That's not the same thing as fasting so that people will see you, so that people will admire you. Friends, we conclude, just a few final thoughts on prayer for us. Friend, I hope you see that Jesus wants to persuade us to pray more, not less. Your Father in heaven wants you to pray. He wants you to ask of Him. And I wonder, do you really believe that? That your Father wants you to ask? You might believe, yes, He wants some in this room to ask, but somehow you think it doesn't apply to you. But friend, if you're a Christian, your Heavenly Father wants you, you, to ask. To ask about the real needs in your life. Author Paul Miller has written helpfully. Here's what he says. Many Christians haven't stopped believing in God. We've just become functional deists, living with God at a distance. But as we learn to pray well, we'll discover that this is my Father's world. And because my Father controls everything I can ask, and He will listen and act, since I am His child, change is possible and hope is born. Friend, I hope you believe that. This is your Father's world. He created it. He's holding it together. He's active in it. And the more you trust in that, the more you will pray in hope and confidence. And friend, certainly God gives to us so much more than we ever ask for. But He's designed it that we might ask and He might answer so that we'll grow in our confidence in Him. Our faith will grow because we asked and he answered. 
Tim Keller says it this way. Prayer is how God gives us so many of the unimaginable things he has for us. Indeed, prayer makes it safe for God to give us many of the things we most desire. It is the way we know God, the way we finally treat God as God. So you see how if, if simply God gives it to us and we didn't ask for it, we so easily take the credit for it. I did it. I earned it. But when we ask our Father and He gives it, then we see if we're alert at all. God gave that to me. I didn't earn that. That's God's kindness. That's God's love. That wasn't my devotion or my work ethic alone. It was God who gave it. So friend, what would it look like for you this week to pray sincerely, simply, and specifically? Praying for specific things in your life. What would it look like to just carve out a few minutes this week? And let me caution you if, you, if you haven't been praying regularly, don't today set a goal of praying for an hour tomorrow. That's probably just not going to work. So maybe it's just carving out five minutes tomorrow. You'd be surprised how much praying you can do in five minutes or ten minutes. And friends, as we pray, you might think of yourself in you know, somewhat of a monotonous season of life. It feels like you just do the same things over and over, like so many of us have in COVID, and really feels like, what, what impact am I making in the world? It's a temptation, I think, for all of us to feel. Friends, by praying, right where we are, we join in God's great global mission. Right where you are, it makes an impact. So our son is 20, and he's an, uh, a youth intern at his church now. And so this upcoming Wednesday, he's teaching a Bible study. So last week, he texted, note, he didn't call, he texted his grandma, my mom. So he reached out to her and said, hey, I'm teaching this Bible study. Would you pray for me? Now, first, you know what his grandma did? She called him right back, right? She didn't text him back. She, she called him, forced him to talk to her. But then, you know what? She was thrilled to pray for him. She was, had great joy in praying. And you know what? She's retired now. She doesn't get around much with COVID. She doesn't even get out much. But here's the amazing thing about God's work in the world. From her couch this morning, she can pray and be a part of his work miles away. Friends, that's how the mission of Jesus works. So wherever you are, friends, we can pray for the Christians in Ukraine and we are with them. We can pray for the gospel to go to the Pashtun. We're in that mission from here. Friends, what a glorious thing, great mystery that we can join in God's great global work. So, friend, you see the opportunity. As you think about the relationships in our lives, friends, pray for those. Friends, co-workers, neighbors. Friend, if you're married, pray for yourself as a spouse. And pray for your spouse. There's much more that you can do to grow your marriage than praying. But not until you pray. Start with praying for your marriage. If you're a parent, there's more to parenting than praying, but it's not less than praying. Parents, pray. Let us pray for our kids. And friend, what honestly are you in need of now? 
Where are you currently in need of the provision of God? It might be a job. Friend, pray for that. It might be the ability to, to pay this week's bills. Pray for that. Physical suffering, a great dilemma at work or in family. Friends, pray for that. Pray for what's really on your heart. Now, friends, as we pray, we want to be aware that cultivating a regular life of prayer for most Christians is hard. Now, there are a number of reasons it's hard. One of them is most of us, and particularly in our city, most of us are doers. We want to do something. And praying at least doesn't feel like we're doing. Right? Sitting on the couch, sitting at the table, praying feels like I need to get through this. There's work to be done today. Prayer doesn't feel like work. So that makes it hard to pray. But there's also a very real spiritual enemy who doesn't want you to pray. So if you're not praying, he's fine with that. But if you begin to pray, he would want nothing more than to distract you or convince you that God doesn't care or cause you to doubt that God actually listens or that God is actually able. So, friend, if you begin to pray, it won't be easy. It won't be natural. It will take effort, but, friends, it is a worthwhile pursuit. Maybe the first prayer of growing in prayer is say, Father, would you help me to pray? Just be honest. Father, I admit it's hard for me to pray, so help me to pray in these next few minutes. I want to mention a couple of books to you on prayer. I, I hesitate to do so because if you're like me, it's often easier for me to read about prayer than to pray. So I thought about not recommending books, but I'm still going to do it. So a couple of books for you. One, Tim Keller has written a very helpful book simply called Prayer by Tim Keller. Second, probably my favorite book on prayer in the last 10 years, a book called A Praying Life by Paul Miller. And then third, there's a book up here. We're starting a study uh, tonight, and the, the book is called 21 Days to Childlike Prayer. Now, personally, I'm almost always skeptical of any book that says 21 days to this or that. And I would have been to this book, except I knew the, the author, so it caused me to, to trust it and to read it. And so it is simply 21 days, and one, there's the value of trying to pray 21 days, even just briefly. It would probably be good for the vast majority of us but also just thinking through how do we have a childlike outlook? Because if he is our father, that's what we are. And how do we pray regularly and specifically? So, so the study will start tonight. It's going to be four Sunday nights in a row at 8 o'clock via Zoom. So you can do it from wherever you are. If you have kids, you can put the kids down, put them in the other room, and you can join us. So the books are up here. They're free. So just grab a book if you'd like to join us tonight. Put your name and email simply so I can email you the Zoom link this afternoon. Uh, so we'd love for you to join us for that. That starts tonight at 8 o'clock across 21 days, four Sunday nights. Friend, I hope you'll leave today believing that your Father in heaven is powerful and loving and interested, able, and available. So ask of him today. And let's ask together of him. And so that's what we're going to do in these next moments is pray together. Preparing in a few moments, we're going to receive the Lord's Supper together. But as we do that, we're going to pray this prayer, the Lord's Prayer. So what we're going to do is I'm just going to read one of the statements as we walk through the prayer. Then we're just going to be silent. And, and where you are, just pray in light of that. Our Father in heaven, you might pray Father, help me to see you as you truly are, to believe that you're a father who cares. We'll go to the next statement. Silence, pray where you are. We'll work our way through that as we confess sins. We're preparing ourselves to receive communion in just a moment. So let's bow our heads. I'll read a sentence. We'll pause and pray.
our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, I pray today you would help us, every one of us, to see you for who you are, our Father in heaven, who loves us, who is available to us, who welcomes us, who desires us to pray far more than we ever do. So, Father, would you stir within us confidence in you, a desire to pray. Make us increasingly a praying church. Help us to see how we can join in your mission locally and globally, how we can pray for the most basic needs that we have. Thank you for the gift we have to ask of you, our Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.